Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. This is your brother Ishar again for another episode of Conversations. Jazakallah khair for tuning in once again. Uh, I hope you are enjoying our first few episodes. Uh, we certainly are, uh, inshallah. And um, we welcome your feedback. You know, we've had some really good feedback. <laughs> <What's>, <laughs> we've already started. Alhamdulillah, uh, we're really pleased. <laughs> all, all five of you that are listening. All five of you that are listening. It's not about, us it's, not about it's not about quantity. Well, it, it kind of is, but, yeah. but you, get what I'm, you get what I'm trying to say. Um, today, inshallah, uh, uh, we are joined by two esteemed guests. We have our resident Sheikh with us, Sheikh Shamis. Assalamu alaikum. Wa alaikum salam. And we have Molana Sajjad with us as well. Assalamu alaikum. Am I not resident? Uh, you've only been on once, I think. Oh, you yeah, mean once. the podcast? Yeah, so oh, yeah, I think yeah, you, need to, uh, you need to um, uh, grace us with your presence a you few more times. You need to redefine uh, and, uh, inshallah, we residency. Can, uh, a few more, a few more, few more times in our podcast, and and we can give you that title no, amongst I, your I, many I, other no, titles. No, I, I hear that you can only ever have one resident person at a time, so <laughs> there's a fight between you and me, uh, and I was here more often. So <laughs> uh, today, Sheikhin, uh, we want to, <laughs> we want to, uh, I want to talk about um, a very important topic, uh, a topic that's not often discussed. Um, but everyone goes through, each and every one of us. Except in London. <laughs> and that's the courting process. Or, or the, uh, I mean, what else would you call it? You'd call it a courting process or Finding the a romantic stage. That's a very Jane Austen way of uh, referring <laughs> yeah. to it. What you mean is um, pre-marriage, looking for... Looking, looking, looking for a spouse. Yeah, looking, looking for, for a spouse. spouse. Dating. Um, so... Um, Conscious of time, I want to I want to get straight into uh, into the matter at hand. Um, I've now finished university. I've uh, got A's at, at GCSE. I've got A's at A level. Where's this going? I've studied. <laughs> I've studied hard. I've gone to university. I've I've got my undergraduate degree. I'm, I'm you know, I'm about to apply for my job, and um, you know, my mum mum and dad called me in one day to the room, and they said, "Son, we're going to look for a wife." For you now from an islamic perspective where do i go from there so first of all i want the question i have is is, is did this really happen because you <laughs> got very intense while you were telling that Don't. story and it was almost like you were carrying memories with you i did, I did particularly well in drama oh, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> refer to our podcast <laughs> what was it called again yeah. um so so it's, yeah, it's yeah so question. um I mean, we all go through this particular process. I mean, marriage is, um, it's stressful being married. Um, you know, shout out to everyone who's been, who's, who's married and who's, um, you know, struggling and, and, you know, persevering in that regard. But even before um, husband and, and wife come together in marriage, there's this, there's this courting process, yep. right? And, and being Muslim, uh, being from the subcontinent, being from a particular culture, particular religious uh, background, um, that has a very different flavours, uh, courting, and it's very different to, say, a Western style of courting. So I thought I thought courting meant that your parents picked out a, a woman, presumably she, she, she's female, you don't really see her face, um, and they decide all of that for you, and then you just say yes, and then you turn up at what appears to be your wedding, um, in a foreign yeah, country, maybe in 1960s. Is that is that what happens? 
<laughs> Maybe for your granddad. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, so you, you've touched on this this uh, this idea of arranged marriage, which is essentially cuts out the courting process. You know, forget the courting process. But your parents are the courting for you. It, it doesn't exist. Yeah. It's 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 already done. Rather than mum and dad saying to you, son, we're going to look for a wife. Son, you're getting married, yeah, yeah. and here's your um, you know, here's your bride to be, yeah. and there you go, move on. And 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 in fairness, a lot of people uh, um, have gone through this process. A lot of people live uh, very happy marriages, and you know, it does have. There is success through that through that particular method. So, um, I don't I don't know. You know, I think that it may have had success maybe thirty years ago, forty years ago. Not even thirty years ago. I mean, forty years ago. Maybe. Um, I don't think it's very su- a, a good method anymore. That's uh, maybe if you live in a very small town, a village. Uh, is that um, is that an uh, an 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 Islamic, or is there an Islamic? No. Uh, way to to court uh, a potential spouse. So now, say for example, I like a uh, a particular a girl, um, Islamically, or a girl likes a likes a boy, mm. Islamically. What would you uh, advise from an Islamic point of view to say? Okay, these are some of the things that you can do, and these are the, some of the things that you should avoid. Can we can we touch on a couple of things first? I think just yeah. relating to this, and then we I think let's mm-hmm. build it up to that point where we discuss the perspective on it because I think there's a lot of the, uh, to me anyway. There's guidance there, but there isn't a prescriptive way that you should do it. Um, and though that that is, we touched on. People getting married through, uh, you know, f- f- families finding somebody for them. So what, what's traditionally called the arranged marriage. Um, there are instances where you may go out and find somebody yourself. Right? And that can happen through various um, means. It could be through friends. It could be through a, a madrasa or somewhere where you've asked somebody that you respect to go and look for somebody for you and so on. Um, what other means are there? I mean, the other one that I've come across is the CV process, where it's kind of part arranged, part not, where... There's a number of CVs that land on your mm-hmm. uh, on your desk at home, yep. and what you do, or somebody, maybe a brother or uncle, or depending on really, again, it's cultural. Uh, someone will go through, sift through those CVs, and then find some appropriate, uh, you know, five or ten, which then you look at and then decide whether they're they're ones that you want to pursue. Um, what other ones are there? Just so that well, because I'm I not think, in the loop I think, anymore. Uh, in, in 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 this day and age, um, not to say that you're you're that old, Sheikh, but um, Islamic dating websites. Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. So we have, for example, Muzmatch and, and these kind of websites. Now, yeah. I know uh, personally, I know a lot of people who've used this website, male and female, okay. and they've got married, happily married, children, etc. So it's a working model, and okay, it's a, yeah, it's yeah. something that uh, you know people are using the benefit of social media yeah. um, and things like that to. To find their spi- to find their to find their their their, their spouse. So that's okay. one aspect. Now, um, again, back to my question: um, Where does Islam come into this sphere? Yeah, I think firstly, the f- the first question is, or I think you mentioned that. Oh, that you. I don't know if you particularly like a girl. Are you married? Or are you? I'm married. Yeah, alhamdulillah. So, five um, years in. If you like two kids down, ex Zaido Bakaro likes a particular girl. I think there's a misconception that people assume that Islamically or as a Muslim you can't like the opposite gender. 
pre-marriage, you know, this idea that you can only love after marriage. So you can like somebody, you can be attracted to somebody and want to marry them. That's the first issue. But uh, in terms of Islam, if you open the fiqh books, the books of law, there's the only real discussion that you have is on suitability if a person, one person is suitable for another. They don't talk about processes. I mean, you're not going to open a book of fiqh and there it's going to have, okay, this you do this first and then you get her phone number and then you talk to her parents. Every culture, for instance in Syria, if you see a particular girl and you approach her, she most likely will give you a father's number, Kalim Baba, and then you go that way. So, so it depends I'll on the culture. But if you did that with the Kashmiri family, if you went and phoned a Kashmiri girl's father, yeah. you'll probably be dead by the end of the week. So, <laughs> so, so are you saying that um, Islam is not prescriptive in any way in this regard, and and it's basically uh, up to you to decide how you want to go about this courting? Are you process? asking about approaching a girl specifically? Yeah, I mean the whole the whole idea uh, of trying to find a spouse. If Islam, if you're saying to me that look, the Islam doesn't really detail or give details on how to go about this give certain maybe I'll certain give you an example if in, in the Ottoman Empire I don't know what particular period outside the masjid of the Prophet I don't know what bab it was I can't recall what bab maybe bab nisa they would uh, have uh, mothers would bring their daughters and they would set aside that bab and that would be kind of uh, uh, people would know that girls that want to get married are with their mothers there as um, you know so they could go and approach them and so they were everybody's employed there but employed different methods there's not one specific method yeah. the thing is what we what uh, has mentioned is that how they guidelines what you should avoid yeah. and where the halal and haram kind of discussion is but it's not here i.e the method that you employ as long as it follows the basic guidelines kind of the universal guidelines uh, i think most methods are generally fine the problem we have is the idea of building a relationship pre-marriage with a particular person. But that, that just actually, just um, just uh, following on from that point, um, if there is no set guidelines that religion gives us... No, now, there, there are. There, there, oh, well, I think there's a difference between guidelines and parameters. Prescriptive, uh, prescriptive way of doing it. And I think that's the point, that it's very uh, culture-specific. Ultimately, what's the Sharia? We've got to think about a few very important questions. One is... The Sharia does have guidelines, yeah. There are ways that, but those guidelines are not specific about the the, the pre-marriage bit. Mm -hmm. It's about protecting um, both parties from from being adversely affected in in the mm -hmm. what the arrangement that you're trying mm -hmm. to make, um, and that can come in many forms, yeah. So marriage itself as an institution, part of that is also ensuring that there's financial commitment from both parties, um, and when it comes to pre-marital, when there's actually an intention to take that forward. Um, it makes sense. So from our from our culture, so you know, you, there's, we've talked about the, the the Syrian example, but in our culture, you know, as uh, Sheikh Sajjad mentioned, that you can't just knock on somebody's uh, door and ask to speak to their father. There's an understanding that it goes through the families, or at least it used to, and it, it'll be the elders that that be involved in it, um, and that's where you know, there'll be a grandmother or a grandfather, and it goes through these these, these family networks, um, and and the purpose behind that was again is a type of preservation. It's to ensure that, you know, if you really want to marry my granddaughter, then it, you'll go through the right channels. So it's a, it's a sign of commitment. The yeah. trouble is, I mean, a lot of that has changed. And but I think that's some a discussion that we need to have. So are, we saying, are we saying that our default position, so where Islam is not prescri prescriptive, 
it may give guidelines, but if it's not prescriptive, then why are we falling back to the default position, which is culture? Why are we not then saying, okay, there's a reason why Islam is not giving us a prescriptive way of doing this? No, but this, in, in, I mean, in a general Usuli understanding is that uh, Urfud, uh, culture and custom will take precedence in these issues anyway. Okay. We're talking about interpersonal law here. Mm. and uh, So culture is... So it's, it's a secondary Usuli principle. Fine. So okay. we're not. So it's not something to be to to for because we have a lot of debate. Or you know, Islam is here to um, take away culture. Is here to um, yeah. sanitize culture. All of these these, these ideas. Are that I mean, culture is. Think about it. If Islam is a universal religion, if the Prophet came as Kafa for all people, culture compromises of generally three things. You have language, you have food, and you have clothing or dress. And then you have general customs as well. As long as those customs don't conflict with uh, kind of the core beliefs in Islam or Islamic law, it's fine, especially marriage. Now, the way we take Asian weddings, Mm -hmm. even I'm I'm sure Gujarati weddings are different to Kashmiri weddings, but you have certain things that people do that have nothing to do with Islam, but culturally, uh, they're kind of gestures or things of that kind. There's nothing wrong with them as long as they don't conflict. It doesn't matter where they came from. This idea that, oh, Hindus do them as well, or Christians do them as well. That's not the point here when it comes to things related to, to marriage. For instance, a particular adab, take my grandfather. He told me that, you know, in a particular time, it was disrespectful for a younger person to sit on the right side of an, on an older person. Mm. Now, that's just a cultural idea of respect and honor. Take women growing their hair long in the subcontinent. Cutting hair was considered an aib or something really bad. And ulama then applied that into things that are disliked, but it's not part of the sharia. In terms of marriage now, if you think about people growing up here in this country, when you want to get married to a girl, it all depends on kind of her father's cultural stance. See, now, we're talking about culture now, but the the discussion that we're having is our father's culture, our forefather's Mm. culture. We're children of diaspora, we're here, we're in the UK, this is our culture now. Our culture is that we do go to school with the opposite sex. Mm. We do... Um, we live all of our teenage, uh, you know, young adult lives with the opposite sex, talking to them. Now, when it comes to marriage or courting process, why are we not able to, or why is it still such a, so, so frowned upon to engage, to employ those methods yeah. uh, that our culture considers normal? So I think, you know what it is? The, I think we need to start with a premise here. And the premise is that, you know, young people don't know everything. Mm-hmm. I think there's a danger when we define culture by what the norm of the of the of the of the latest generation is, yeah, because actually it only becomes something that's um, especially when we're talking about these like shari'i um, kind of discussions. If if you base what is the normal practice on generation X, you don't know what the next generation is going to be like. You don't know what the state of play will be. So what you need to take is a general average of the generations that are around you. At, at the very least, that should be the consideration. So I think that we shouldn't be talking about uh, um, culture as though the generation above us will be dead anyway or they're completely not relevant because they still are relevant. So you're saying this, looking, look yeah. at culture as this, yeah. oh, this whole yeah. big idea consisting of many generations we've got to respect the fact that there are um, there are many layers to what we call culture um, and that's layers based on people's experiences that our our eld- our elders grew up in a completely different geography um, they had completely different experiences to us they are our elders so there's an age difference that you have there's an educational difference there's an expectation difference there's so many different layers that are kind of inter uh, connected 
So to kind of simply say we should just discard that, I think might n- might, also, might not be the wise. We have to remember that we're talking about our own cultural experience. You have different cultures, for instance, take Arabs, Moroccans, for, just yeah. as an example. Take Birmingham as a city; it's not that multicultural, whereas London is. If you want to marry a Moroccan girl, now it's very likely that it's okay to talk to her father, yeah. to approach him directly. Mm-hmm. For instance, I have two daughters now; they're very, very young. But if they once they hit the you know marriageable age, if somebody wants to marry one of my daughters and approach me directly, yeah. it, I, my attitude would be much different yeah. to if a guy approached my father for my sister. That's changing, yeah, so yeah. We, we have to look at the prevailing culture and... But are we more accepting of that change? Would you be more accepting? I, I would personally, because because I'm not that... I'm more malleable, I'm not that kind of rigid. Because of my cultural background, although I have a particular cultural background, but I also was born here, I grew up here, you know, I went to school with different types of people. The same tribal elements don't really affect me. I'm not that concerned about them at all. I think that's dying away and disappearing. Um, I would expect good manners, the way a person approaches me. I'll have my own set of rules, which are more universal. That particular kind of cultural rigidity wouldn't exist for me, yeah. personally. But a lot of it, wouldn't it, a lot of it formed by... So our, our, our views are formed by when our, our peer group and those that are above us, and it kind of becomes a mishmash of all of that, and that becomes our identity, our culture, our lens that we look at life. But you know, a lot of our fears come from when we look at the next generation. So a lot of my so I've got two boys and I've got you know I've got a girl and when I look at somebody approaching me about my daughter I'm not basing it on the people that I was around mm. I'm basing on a, a, a right or wrong I'll be looking at the fears that come through hearing stories of people from her generation or just just you know one generation above, above hers so and I don't think I'm atypical I think there's a, that would be typical for a lot of parents and I think um, if we go back to what I said earlier, which is ultimately the Sharia is not prescriptive, but there is this idea of being of prevention, yeah, of being this protectivism that exists. So when it comes to your children getting married, what you want is, as any parents that are listening, um, or, or people that don't have children, but you know, for the future, is what you need to be thinking about is uh, instilling this. Uh, this this kind of mentality or at least teaching our children so that actually they learn to safeguard themselves because the danger about I'm, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with websites but I'd be interested to see the level of abuse that potentially they're mm. open mm. to as yeah, compared yeah. to other systems I don't know the answer to that see I think these are two different issues though there's one the one issue is how should we approach uh, getting married to a particular mm. girl that's yeah. that's a separate issue yeah. there's another issue of how, how uh, a kind of what, how you put yourself in that situation. That's a different issue altogether. So we, we, we have to accept that our children will get married at some point. And we hope that they make good choices in that and, you know, um, and we also make good choices for them. Uh, as for them being sensible, what leads up to that, that's, what, that's a different issue, I think, altogether. Uh, meaning, at what point do you get married? Mm. Um, how do you go about choosing the right person? I think that's that. That particular. So which one is that? Which one do you want to? So we need to start with one. Just the first one. So we're talking about the courting. Yeah, the courting process. How do we? um, And we can touch on the suitability aspect. I think that that's. Maybe we'll begin with age. I think that would be a good whole whole other aspect. But just the courting process itself. What you see, what I'm saying is, it depends. Imagine now, you're uh, generally accomplished. You've completed your education. You've got a job, and now you want to get married. You don't have anybody in mind. 
That's a different situation to I'm at university. I've seen somebody and I like them. That's a different, a whole yeah. different idea. So each each one would be different. Uh, if you're at university and you see somebody and you like them, they're a different set of kind of guidelines because first of all, you have to ask yourself, is this a viable kind of path I'm taking? Am I ready for marriage, um, etc. And all these no, other those, factors. I mean, those those kind of factors are you being a concerned parent. Any concerned parent would have have those concerns. Yeah. If 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 if, if if their son who's still studying or doesn't have a job is not financially dependent, these are not these are not just specific to our culture or our. But you know what it is. So look, every parent knows their child. Yeah. So when I look at my children, I Correct. see very I see similarities and I see differences between yeah. the way my children are. Right. And based on that, if they continue in that trajectory, um, I can imagine one of my boys coming home and if they said I want to get married. I think my approach to it would be probably very different to one of my other boys coming home and, and saying the same no, thing. And that's because you have to look at this things that you learn from a ver- from you see in a child from a very young age, things like impulsivity, right? So you have some that children that will grow up and they have that conscientious mind and you will see that come into when they're 22, 23, 24, 30, whatever whenever they choose to get married. You know that that child has just like the education, just like anything that they've most things that they've tackled in life, they've gone through this process of thinking it through. And there are other children that you know haven't given it a second thought. It's purely an impulse. They've seen somebody, they're interested, and you're thinking, okay, what do I do? I think the approach I take, and I think for a lot of parents, uh, I'm sure can relate to this, is there's no uniform approach that you take. Actually, that is the problem when you take a uniform approach. And I think with arranged marriages, that's one of the ways it falls down, where there's a uniform approach that doesn't work for everybody. So we've talked about... uh, the approaches and maybe there's not this one-size-fits-all approach to to the courting process but we're still looking at this from the perspective of the parents yeah now in other cultures you know why because the... we're too far <laughs> yeah we're too far we're, we're, I'm, I'm on the parent no, but, end more than but i am on our, the... our parents now i mean in other cultures parents are not part of this process at all that's a good point yeah so we're still under the impression that our word or what we say will will, will yeah. be of any yep. consideration to our children. But I think that's really important. Look, the thing is, we have to. This is where tarbiya is really, really important. How we nurture and bring up our children. If whoever is married or is getting, who has been married at least for a few years, knows that marriage is not all about kind of that initial excitement. It's much more difficult than the that. Hun- you have the to honeymoon look, period. Yeah, you have to look at suitability and things like that. Um, you know, uh, and. Uh, there's so many problems that occur in marriages and the way you resolve them, you need to really... But is it for a family or the family unit to, if they think that this this court, this uh, marriage is not going to work for them to say to at the beginning, pre- you know, prevention, is prevention better than... Yeah, so that's my point. So, what, so the way, I mean, if, you, if your child is, if your son or daughter is 18, 19, you have to begin this conversation quite early with them. That this is generally speaking, this these are your, your years for study. These are not your years for marriage, mm. and uh, give them guidelines and guidance on uh, kind of the pitfalls of, let's say, Western education and what some people fall into, etc. And you know, fall in love with uh, somebody and want to get married. You really have to nurture and train them uh, to sp- about when to actually look or approach marriage. Now, I wouldn't recommend to any eighteen-year-old. You know, this idea that. I've, I've heard a few people say, oh, marry young. The Prophet ﷺ said people should marry young. There's a huge context to that. Yeah. Now, if you take an 18-year-old now, no way on planet Earth are you going to allow an 18-year-old 
to get married, they don't have the life skills, it's especially 18 year olds now currently. The, you're looking at this very rationally. Let me, let me, you know what it is? Let I, me I see the point you're making. And 18 I think year old is, where, not rash, is not a rational being. Well, this is, this is what I'm saying. <laughs> let, let me, okay, so let me advocate, because I'm younger than you. Uh, let me advocate for let me let, let me look at it from the point of view of just get the youngsters. Here. Yeah. With youngsters, you know, they they're no Joan. Yeah, yeah. My my gang. Um who are who are young and they're thinking about getting married. And I yeah. think if you t- you also look at it from the, the parents' point of view, because I think there's a, some there's points to be made either way. I think from a young if there's eighteen, nineteen year old that's thinking about and there's probably people somebody listening, one of my five our five viewers uh, are, are probably <laughs> uh, you know interested or thinking about getting married and one of the pieces of advice that I would definitely give is um, just just think about like how many there's a yeah that's the noise from upstairs that's uh, the classes um, sorry for those of you who don't know there's a there's a lot of noise at the moment and that's because the classes are coming to an end so um, so what I would what I would say to that 18 or 19 year old that's thinking about getting married is first of all I would just caution them to just pause for a second. And really try and think through um, why it is that they, they, they want to marry this person. I know that's almost an impossible task for a, uh, you know, I don't want to generalize, but a hormonal 18-year-old boy. We were all there who have suddenly decided that they've met the love of their life. Love is not but rational. I was certain, yeah, but there's, no, there's not much <laughs> rational rationale to it. I would also ask them to really turn to their friends because, you know, one of the things that, again, part of the guidelines is is about uh, having good company and having people that you can go and take do mashwara with. Right? There's a real encouragement in the Quran to go and take. Is that uh, friends support. the friends in your own circle? Because I know if I asked my friends, yeah. I'd be getting a very different answer. Maybe you're talking about your yeah. your um, your elders. Yeah, I, I would friends. say you know what it is. I, I wouldn't restrict it initially because yeah, nine out of ten of your friends might be saying go for it, but there will be that one one person, the one that you don't want to listen to, the critical friend. Who will actually advise you differently and even if you don't agree with it it'll get you at least thinking um, and this, the other thing i would say is just think about uh, um, just consider your parents perspective you may not agree with it you may not agree with the reasons why they are against it assuming they are against it are there any but at least um, consider it. are there any times where you can or is there a situation where you can go against your parents in the courting process mm, yeah, you know the, the problem here is that we don't want to See, for us, it's quite risky because we don't know everybody's situation yeah. and personal kind of... Could there even be a situation? And our children will listen to this yeah. in, uh, in, in 10 because, years. <laughs> look, we, t- we have classes where a lot of people come and teenagers come as well and say, we're in love with so-and-so and want to get married and our parents have no reason to prevent the marriage, but they're preventing yeah. it or, you know, they're in a very, very difficult situation. And then the parents, then when you talk to the parents, they have their own perspective mm. and you tend to agree with them as well at the same time. So I don't want to promote that children should definitely, I don't want them to go against what their parents kind of, uh, i.e. I don't want their parents not to be happy with them. Mm-hmm. Uh, generally speaking, what's ideal is that you are happy with somebody and your parents are happy with them as well because uh, generally for Muslims, we have a kind of a very close, tight-knit uh, family unit. Mm-hmm. So that would be ideal. There are situations now where an 18, 19-year-old would want to get married and their parents clearly know that this they, it's not going to work. It's going to fail, and it's very difficult to give a general, generic piece okay. of advice what to if, all of them. What if the parents are refusing um, because of uh, not because of something that's religious? I'll give you an example. So religiously, they've got there's no issue. So you're talking. You know, we talked uh, before the podcast about suitability, mm. and say it all fits. So 
you know, religious-wise, suitability-wise, financially-wise, you know, as per the hadith of the, the Prophet yes, suitability is there. Now the parents are saying no, no for non-religious reasons. Yeah, but remember, and this is very important, 99% of cases, parents do not really care much about religion. That when they refuse a particular spouse, it's nothing to do with religion, it's to do with other things. So if it were merely based on religion, then firstly, how would you how validate that? How would you quantify that? Yeah, It's very difficult. Parents generally uh, refuse uh, a particular person based on their own perceptions, their own kind of upbringing, uh, their own uh, expectation ideals. Yeah, yeah. So I've had many cases, a recent case that I had where uh, the parents were refusing for no reason whatsoever except money. So they wanted a person of particular clout, a particular type of job. And they were very, very particular, very specific, you know, a, a 45,000 pound plus. Yeah. And then other th factors had to be there. This poor girl ain't going to get married. I mean, so, so what is the examples of where you have, um, you, so you have um, uh, guys that want to marry, marry a girl and the parents are against it. And actually, when you really, when push comes to shove, the reason why they're against it, because again, it's very much the, their own experiences. Their expectation is that this girl is going to move in with them. And they don't have the faith that somebody that's not from their family will be able to put up and live in that household. So there's a real perception that somebody on the outside won't be able to live with us. But isn't that, but that a, expectation isn't, is a is, is that is a flaw? Issue. Isn't that a flaw? Uh, that isn't that a prejudice? It's an issue, something. but it's the the fact is that's the environment they grew up in. That was the norm for them. And I think part of us, what we should be doing is, um, th th of course, there's issues with that. There's issues with most uh, uh, approaches you take, but I, I suppose we can't say whether it's blanket right or blanket wrong. What we can say is there are instances where there is a type of, I would go as far as to say an abuse happening. The parents though, and let's operate on this premise that the par parents don't think they're wronging their child. They're not doing it to make the child miserable. Yeah. But the problem is they're living their own life through this child. Yeah. Mm. yeah? And I think that, that mismatch becomes a problem. And it, they butt heads when the child doesn't see that. What they just see is a parent that's trying to control them and doesn't want to or doesn't see the pers their parents' perspective. Now, how do you resolve that? It's very hard. Sometimes you need intervention, you need a third person in a room. Is the, is the imam that person? Yeah, ideally, I mean, it yeah, should be, I mean, yeah. Because, the thing is, you know, we've heard stories of the imam or the religious inter intervener mm. uh, who becomes part of the problem. Interlocked. <laughs> yeah, it makes things worse. Yeah, uh, you, you know, the especially when the imam is the one who's trying to marry. <laughs> <laughs> We've had those ones too, unfortunately. You know, the thing is that each so is the imam. I mean, if if Islam doesn't have, if you're saying to, if you're saying that Islam doesn't have has general guidelines, then what is the is the imam? What is he basing it on? You know, the problem is not uh, what, how I see it is that ideally the imam should be somebody that's neutral, somebody that's knowledgeable. If you have an imam that's only been married for two years or doesn't have much of an experience in terms of these types of things, it can be toxic and problematic. And I'll give you an example. Years and years ago, a guy, he was a convert and he wanted to marry a Bengali girl. And um, so uh, he came to me and I said, look, I can't really help you out much because the family, her father didn't speak English. And I said, I'm going to communicate with him. But I know a guy who uh, seemingly was like an imam, was a religious guy, and he's a Bengali and hopefully... So, he came back to me like a day later and he said, dude, you sent me this guy with this guy and he basically just destroyed the whole thing. Yeah. Where he ended up, he had his own prejudice. I didn't know, I was very young then as well. I thought, oh, you, he'll help him out. Yeah, yeah. He would look at his religion. He was a really religious guy and they ended up getting married and it was, it did solve itself. But um, 
uh, that was my, my mistake because I assumed that just because this guy is in the field or that he won't have any prejudice against, but he was quite cultured. Yeah. So it's, it is dangerous. I would say that each case will be based on its own merit. We have to look at each case separately. However, what we require is we need to educate parents. These are the kind of things that are universals. We need to educate parents about not withholding or uh, being fair to their children. That's number one. Parents need to be educated. And that's from the, the member yeah. in Jumu'ah. The imams need to stand up and say parents are making it very difficult for their children to get married. And being open and, con- and consider these things yeah. rather than just number one. shutting it up. And then we also need to be interacting with uh, teenagers from a young age and, and, and kids who are at college and university and giving them guidelines on how to avoid uh, these kind of toxic relationships that they end up in and what the purpose of each period of life is. We need to talk to both. Parents are very important. I remember my teacher would, and Juma Khutbah, uh, he would use the verse, and tell parents in Urdu as well, that you know, you, you're, you're withholding. Uh, you know, you're, you're wronging your children. I remember I was in Syria and there was an imam and every, almost every Jummah he would talk about tell parents, to uh, fathers to lower the mahr for their daughters mm. saying your daughters will never get married uh, with, with that level of mahr. Mm. Now it's a job of the imam on Friday to educate parents I think and, and, and be honest about the conversation and say you know parents need to look at their children not them, themselves and their own so, you know, cultural honour and these types of things if it's a good marriage and at the same time uh, we need to educate and just teach common sense to young people. So I would say, see, going back to what we said before about these clash of cultures that hap- that's happening, um, that's a good point. I think with the imam, one of his many roles or her many roles is 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 actually being the intersection between those cultures and bridging the gap. And it just, uh, as you were speaking there, it reminded me of uh, you know, the the biography of Sheikh Badruddin Hassani. Um, who was a great uh, scholar of the of uh, of the of the Sham of the Levant, um, and he was known for being what you'd call the father or the grandfather of many of the scholars that we know today that came from that great land. Um, and in his biography, his student speaks about one of his his greatest influence, and he was known as the great Imam. And he says the greatest influence he had was he lived in a time we're talking at the turn of the twentieth century where there was a disconnect between the youth and the scholars, um, the, the, the older generation. It's what we're facing today. And what he did was he almost single-handedly changed that, where he suddenly just, he would go out and he would spend all his time with the children, helping them, supporting them. He would, in the masjid, they say, whenever he finished the prayer, he would have five or six white hats in his pocket and he'd hand them out to the children. And then Sheikh Saleh Farfur, in his, who was his student, who was the founder of the Mahad al-Fatih, Islami in, um, in Damascus he says years later I would recall that the very children that he used to give hats to became the great scholars of Syria right so I think there's the one of the roles of the Imams is as you said is about being that intersection Between is yeah it's translating the the culture of the youngsters to the parents so that they're educated yeah. and also vice versa yeah that I think that that's very important especially our relationship <clears throat> with the younger generation you know there's a, there's a story and scholars previously, I know in Syria anyway, in the, in the, in the 60s, 70s, scholars were very, very close to their students, such mm-hmm. that often the, the, their teachers would go with them to ask for, and they were very, very well respected. There's a funny story about Sheikh Hassan Abandaka. Mm-hmm. Although it's, it's one of those stories, it's a rare case, so I don't <laughs> recommend this. But uh, So his student comes to him and says, you know, Sheikh, I want to get married to this particular girl. Can you come with me? So they go uh, to the house and... Uh, 
so the sheikh introduces he says look this my student wants to marry your daughter and, and the man listens and uh, he says look uh, it's a no from me because i have two daughters and uh, she's younger and she has an older sister and if i marry her to to your student then people may begin to ask questions about my older daughter was there something wrong with her the sheikh looked at him he didn't look at the student he said we'll take the older one <laughs> so, and and the student never spoke and interestingly they got married and he said the older one was a much better yeah. match for me now it, it may have been that the sheikh knew the family he knew but that was the, my point is that how close the, the the student was to the sheikh and how well he must have known him yeah. Yeah. And how much she trusted him as well. Well, exactly. This is the key thing, isn't it? Because what you can't you can't manufacture that. And I think in that a in a, in a yeah, and, and the thing is, in a generation, in a time where parents try and enforce that, and this is the goes back to arranged marriages, is it's not going to work. It's not going to work. Not because the system doesn't work, but because there's this disconnect that's happening, and because that you're trying to manufacture that, and it, uh, and, and so that's very difficult. Basically, you know. That guy or that girl who's you know just come out of university that we were talking about at the beginning of the podcast, that conversation, what you're saying shouldn't really be happening at that time. It should be happening much earlier in the formative years. The, the relationship with the that parents relationship. is absolutely crucial. If you have a good relationship with your children, <clears throat> then your that children decision will, will be natural whenever it comes. Before the decision's made, the the thinking process will go. That you I'll, want to go to. Your I'll give you another example. Sometimes. There, there, there are two. There are many possible, very, very kind of d- different situations that can arise. One of them is that, uh, or as a, a ramifications of not having that conversation. One is that you go out there yourself and make your own guidelines. Mm-hmm. Another is that you are not interested in marriage at all until a later age. And this is a big problem where sometimes you have girls who their parents don't have that conversation with them early on. They don't have that honest, open conversation, and it's the issue is ignored. And then when the girl gets to 29, 30, 31, 32. She's finding it quite difficult because mm. the parents didn't really push her. Yeah. They allowed her to, or, or the boy. Mm. It's more difficult for girls, however. The older they get, it's much more difficult. And that's one of the ramifications is if you don't start the conversation early mm. and have something set in place, mm. then it can be very, very difficult. And I mean, start the conversation at 17. And you know, I would also say just on, the, on that note is um, if you've spoken to people that are not married in their late 20s, you know, early 30s, maybe even late 30s that are still living with their parents. That's not an easy relationship to, to maintain when you're that because there's a there's this instinctive need to be able to build a nest, male or female, to start a life of your own. So you find that there's a lot of conflict in households between parents and their children that are in there. Now, they might choose to move out, not get married, and that's their choice entirely. But where that main, where that relationship is needing to be maintained and you've got somebody on the one hand that needs their independence and they haven't built that life of their own for whatever reason. And then on the other hand, you've got these parents that are still, whether they want to or not, they're still asserting that sense of control. You know, every now and again, there's a fight. And in that fight, the parents remind them, this is my house and so on and so forth. That gets debilitating and mm. really breaks relationships down. And actually, it's so detrimental that it can be something that probably that, that can be ir- irrecoverable. So it's important for parents to recognize that actually that is a distinct possibility if yeah. you don't, start, if you don't early. start early and have those conversations. Now, as I said, I've touched on this. What if a child chooses, well, I say child, but an adult, because we're talking about adults here, 
um, if an adult then decides they don't want to get married, and I think that's a podcast for another day. Yeah. So I don't want to make assumptions that yeah. everyone should or wants to get married, nor do I want to or we want to make this assumption that um, you know every 18 or 19 year old is too too immature to 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 make these decisions. Because I have met and there are you know there are a handful of them, uh, 18 or 19 year old that's very immature. But when I look at myself when I was 18, I didn't have that level of maturity, you know. So I think that's pretty much the norm, and that's not to say that there's a, that's not questioning what their age abilities. Did you get married, right? 23. So it's about so it's about really starting this conversation as early as possible and having everyone involved as parents, children, religious leaders, bring everyone them all together. In. I think and, I think you should have a community and, and to increase in, in <laughs> the Yeah, bring the bring the animals, the uh, goats uh, to get everyone involved and have this uh, have this these conversations to break the taboos. But one one thing uh, I will say uh, is that you, you know marriage is it, it is a very 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 important topic. So. Even people that are probably not that interested at 18, 19, 21, whatever it may be, but they must see it as something quite serious and something they need to consider. They have to quickly. get involved yeah. in that. You know, what we need to talk about. We're not going to talk about it now because I know time is of the essence. But we need to really discuss. Uh, you know, there there are people out there that um, leave it to it. They want to get married. So we're talking about the core of people that really want to get married. And five, six years in, they still haven't quote unquote found somebody. Struggle. Yeah, still and, in the, and there's the, lots of issues through my yeah. own experience, and yeah. I'm sure you're going to have experience. There's, you know, no, all three of us will cool. share these experiences with people. I got married young. So. Yeah, no, but I'm saying people that you've met. Yeah, yeah of course. Yeah, it's a real well, problem, yeah. and actually, there's themes that come through, and it's really worthwhile you know, us discussing. Wh- that, so. Whoever's uh, you know listening, um, you know, please do send us your um, uh, sure. questions, and you know, we've got a lot of podcasts in mind, a lot of topics in mind, but we, you know, we want to keep it as as tailor-made to, to you guys as possible. Um, Sheikhain, I'm going to ask you one question, same question to both of you, and, and we'll end it there. Uh, one is going to be one's son, one's going to be one's daughter. Yeah. Um, son's going to come to you, Molana, your son's going to come to you, and he's going to say to you, Dad, I want to get married to this, uh, this, this girl. Mm. And your daughter's going to say that to um, uh, about a boy. You've got one thing you can say to them. It was last week that was. <laughs> one, one bit of advice. All 13 years <laughs> One bit of advice you can give them. What would that be? And we'll end it there, inshallah. Man, you get, like Over the, to you. Um, one bit of advice. In terms of choosing somebody or? You've only got one thing you can say. Yeah, in the courting process. You're, you're, dying, you're dying words to your, <laughs> to your son who's about to get married. To what to look for. So, he, so, so your son's found someone. Oh, he's found someone. Found someone, but it's, it now has come to you to say, Dad, I want to get married to this, to yeah. this girl. And you, the other way around. I'd say, I'll tell you what I'll say. I'll say, look, um, alhamdulillah, you know, you're 45 years old now. <laughs> we've, uh, we've talked about this. And, <laughs> and obviously, we're buying a house where I'm going to be living in that house. So, so you're so saying we good minutes. Sure, we're going to make sure that your husband has a, you know, a decent room in the house. And then, so that, that's how my conversation will go. It would be making sure that actually... Um, I live in the house. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. you know, uh, no, on a serious note, what I would say is, um, I think for me, if my daughter had that conversation, I, I would like to think that I've instilled enough um, diligence inside her that she she comes to me having thought through a lot of the concerns that I would have, and she is, you know, so and and she comes to me early enough where she feels like she can have a conversation with me, right? Uh, I think that's that what, you've so allowed. Say, you've yeah. allowed your daughter to feel comfortable. Yeah. So my comfortable. question would be, you know what I'm like. 
and you know some of the concerns that I would have. You know, help 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 me help me feel better about them. I think that's what I would say. And if she if she can explain um, what she wants to do and why, uh, and and explain you know explains it to me, then I think I'd be able. To, uh, th- th- in fact, let me start by saying I would not control who my my daughter marries, and I will recognize in that situation it's not. But me, what's not the me one married, bit of advice? But I would, would if okay, if it's advice, this is not if it's advice okay. that I would give. I would say to her, I would say to her. I would say to her, yeah, actually, I'd say to her, remember that this is a, it's, 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 you're getting married, this is a lifetime decision, right? This will stay longer than you, uh, longer with you than your career, it'll stay longer with you than any other decisions that you make in your life. So remember the, the, you know, what I've taught you over the years. And if you feel like you've considered, considered those things, and obviously I can't sit here and and, and go through, through a list, but hope I thought of one (laughs) by, by that point, um, if you can, if you can confidently say that this is something that you've thought about and you and you understand that this is a, a decision for a lifetime, um, and that's things like kafa, understanding that look, both of you have to have um, compatibility and compatibility. You know, she's thought that through. Then I would say, as long as you've done that, then then I'm I'm happy with that. Yeah. Uh, one I think advice. one thing. I, not well, one bit of advice not to do. One bit of, one bit of advice. I would say that, which would be marital advice yeah. I would have to give, would be that uh, you have to you have to build a deep friendship with your wife. Uh, I would give that to everybody. If you if you can't build a friendship with your wife, uh, I, I think it'll be, the marriage will be very very difficult. I mean, it'll become a very kind of binary type of marriage. Jazakallah khair. Um, I think that was, I think that was uh, quite interesting, and um, we want to develop this, uh, you know, the, the the conversations around marriage. You know, we've talked about it. There's there's a lot to talk about. Um, we want you guys to get involved. You know, please, um, you know, subscribe to uh, our channels, comment on on the videos, give us your feedback. We've had very very good feedback, um, and. Uh, and uh, inshallah um, hope you all join uh, for our next podcast and if you've got any ideas actually if they've got ideas yeah, for specific topics that you want us to tackle yep. then by all means you know put a let comment know, or inshallah. contact us um, let know. us know inshallah and um, hope to uh, um, hope you all join us in our next, pod- next podcast Jazakallah khair Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh